episode 91. Is that a nork in your pocket? I'm Morgan Shortle, and you're listening to the October 7th, 2009 podcast from the Kansas Historical Society. In this podcast, museum staff reveal the story behind the story about artifacts featured on the Cool Things section of our website, kshs.org. If you're a frequent or even casual consumer of fast food in America, you're probably familiar with this fork, that stubby combination of a spoon and a fork. But what about those times when you need to cut your food and all you have is a fork or a spork? That's where the genius of a Wichita inventor comes in. Join curator Laurel Fritch and me as we take a look at the Nork, a utensil that cleverly combines a knife and a fork and is taking the flatware world by storm. And then, this week, as Scandinavians and would-be Vikings across the United States celebrate Leif Erikson Day, we'll connect William Allen White to this legendary Norse explorer. How does the first European to set foot in North America connect to our favorite small-town newspaper editor? Find out when we play Six Degrees of William Allen White. But first, is that a nork in your pocket? me today is curator Laurel Fritch. Hello, Laurel. Hello, Morgan. And she's going to tell us all we need and want to know about the Nork. Mm-hmm. So, right. yeah. So, what's a Nork? Well, it's a combination of a knife and fork. So, you get the K from the knife part and then the orc from the fork. <laughs> <laughs> and um, it's a little bit difficult to describe, so I'll do my best here. But it looks like a regular fork except that the two outer tines are a little bit thinner they have a a little bit of a thinner edge it's still fairly dull Mm -hmm. it's just thinner and uh, then as you move sort of up the handle the the part in between the the fork part and then the longer handle is a little bit wider it forms a sort of a platform and, and it's quite thick and so it's pretty easy then to grasp and manipulate and things like that. And these outer tines are used for cutting? Yes, they're okay. used for cutting. Okay, well, that sounds pretty clever. Yeah. Um, has it been around for a while? Yeah, it's a pretty new product, actually. In fact, the first ones were sold in 2003, so really only a couple of years old. Well, it sounds like a pretty interesting utensil, but what does it have to do with Kansas? Well, the company is based in Kansas, and also the inventor is originally from Wichita, and also the Nork was invented in Kansas. So we can claim this as our own, I take it. We can definitely claim this as our own. Yeah. So who was the inventor, and how did, he, how did he come up with this idea? Well, the inventor's name is Mike Miller, and he came up with the idea when he was in eighth grade, so he was quite young. And he was at a pizza place in Newton, and he was having trouble with the cheap plastic forks that they provided him. And I think we've all been there and done that. You know, you're trying to use this fork, and it's smashing your pizza instead of cutting it, and it starts to kind of dig in your finger, and they're just a pain. And inevitably, one of the tines ends up breaking off. And anyway. Mine always tend to fly through the air. I like, I flick it, and it, yeah. They are a pain. And that's exactly what Mike Miller thought. Um, So he was sitting there struggling away and kind of staring off into space. And he noticed the guys in back who were cutting the pizza with those big, giant, rocking kinds of 
knife cutting utensil things and uh, he was pretty inspired by that idea and he thought well hey why not make a fork that could rock in a similar way that that cutting utensil does so he went home and he just sketched something out on some paper and he just sort of you know put it away and it was one of those things where he just sort of kept thinking about it whenever he would struggle with a fork <laughs> and he kept thinking to himself, well, you know, this is such an obvious idea. Surely it must be somewhere out there, and I just don't know about it. But the more he looked into it, the more he realized, actually, it really wasn't out on the market. So when he was in college at K-State, he started to really seriously consider trying to manufacture Norks. And even though it was kind of risky doing something like this, he figured that, you know, Someday, he didn't want to say to himself, oh man, I totally could have made a boatload of money off of that idea, but instead of doing that, I just shelved it and then somebody else ended up making the money off of it. So, uh, what did the first Nork look like? Well, it doesn't, it looks a little bit similar to the current one. Um, but what he did in order to create it was take a regular kitchen fork and then he took some carb putty and Bondo mm -hmm. and he started to play around with that, sort of like you would um, if you were molding something out of clay. And he just kept working on it and working on it until he got it right. And um, he needed to do things like work on the finger platform so that it didn't look huge and chunky and ugly. And he needed to make sure that he got the cutting edge right mm -hmm. so that it wouldn't be too sharp so it would hurt people, but it was still effective. And it ended up taking him about a year and a half or so to get it to the point that he was happy with it. So he made a bunch of prototypes. Yeah, and actually you can see them online. He has a website called norkdork.com. <laughs> and um, so you can definitely check that out. And the interesting story behind Nork Dork is that when he was in college, he kept telling people, man, these, you know, I'm going to invent a Nork, I'm going to invent a Nork. And so all of his friends started making fun of him and called him a Nork Dork. So, But we don't have any of these prototypes in our collection? Not currently, but we are working with Mike on potentially getting some. Oh, that's cool. Mm -hmm. So once he made some Norks, how did he start selling them? Well, he started out actually at the Kansas State Fair. <laughs> and he just ended up selling them for really cheap. You know, his attitude was, I just want to get the word out on these. And so after that, he was able to sell them, particularly at, particularly at high-end restaurants. They thought it was fantastic. And he was able to end up expanding his line into spoons and butter knives and some other things as well. And now he's really gotten quite successful, and he works with places like Bed Bath & Beyond and Target Online, and he is also working with some franchises like Taco Bell, Kentucky Fried Chicken, and um, recently he's been in talks with the U.S. military in order to develop some lightweight titanium norks. Wow, fancy. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So it sounds pretty popular. Yeah, it is. And um, originally when Mike was thinking about this idea, he thought they would primarily be used just at like cocktail parties, fast food restaurants. <laughs> Gotta cut your cocktail weenies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, the kind of thing where you've only got the one hand for the plate and you need the other hand for the drink, really. Uh -huh. um, that sort of idea. And he thought, you know, probably college kids would like them too. 
But um, well, with a name like Nork. Well, exactly, exactly. Um, but once he actually started making it, he started to get some responses back from people that had used them, and he ended up finding out that um, it was a lot more popular than he thought it would be with some unexpected people, particularly people who were left-handed. It was very useful for them because this platform isn't isn't restricted to just one side, it's on both sides. And so that's really useful. And also people who have disabilities, like difficulty with their hands, people mm -hmm. who might have arth arthritis, also people who might have limited eyesight, have found it incredibly helpful for them. And in fact, he's gotten a number of letters from people who they will take their NORC with them into restaurants in order to use them. <laughs> and they've made their own carrying cases for their NORCs. He, sh he should, you know, allow people to have him engraved or something. You know? In fact, <laughs> uh, he's making a baby nork for, for kids, um, and a lot of people will want them engraved as christening gifts. Awesome. Yeah. So if any of our listeners are nork users and you've made your own carrying case for your nork, Give us a call. <laughs> like to hear one. So, I mean, this is pretty interesting. Um, why? Why was the museum interested in acquiring such a recent product? Well, we were sort of less interested in the physical aspects of the NORC and really more interested in Mike Miller's story. We were really interested in him as a Kansas inventor. And it's also really exciting to be able to sit down and talk with someone who is a successful Kansan inventor who invented a product in Kansas. I mean, he was in Newton when he invented mm -hmm. it, um, and whose product is made in Kansas. He does a line of plastic norks, and those are all produced in McPherson. I'm sorry, McPherson. <laughs> I'm sorry, anyone from McPherson. Sorry. You're uh, learning, you're learning. I know, I know. McPherson, <laughs> Kansas. Um, so they produce plastic norks, and they're picnic norks, so they're designed to be taken with you on picnics. Did you seek him out, or did he come to you? We sought him out, <laughs> and um, we were reading the paper, and I can't remember, I think it might have been one of the papers out of Lawrence, did an article on him, and we thought, hey, this sounds like a really interesting story. So, how would you like to wrap up today's interview? I'm afraid well, of where this is going. Well, um, we could tell a nork nork joke. <laughs> um, maybe we could suggest that Mike Miller sell a nork and spoon set called Nork and Mindy. Nork and Mindy. I like it. Very good. Well, um, how about if we end with a quote by the Swedish chef oh, he's from, from The Muppet Show? <laughs> So let's see, what would the Swedish chef say? Um, Siedemuffin, untermittermutenschnuten, nork, 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 nork. Wow, only could an episode about a nork end with the Swedish chef. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Laurel. Thank you, Morgan. And now it's time for another round of Six Degrees of Willie Mallon White. Joining me today is Assistant Registrar Nikayla Zimmerman. Hi. And Museum Director Bob Keckeisen. Hello. This week, as I'm sure all of our listeners are aware, we celebrate Leif Erikson Day. 
How could they not know? I, yeah, I know. <laughs> it's October 9th, just, and don't forget it, um, is a day officially designated by the United States Congress to commemorate the exploit of this Norse explorer. While not as widely known or celebrated as St. Patrick's Day or Columbus Day, Leif Erikson Day is another of those days that we in this country devote to an influential European. Bob, can you give us a little background on Mr. Erickson? Sure. Well, you know, we don't have enough of our own, so we have to keep you know, yeah. <laughs> finding Europeans to celebrate. Well, anyway, yes, uh, Leif Erikson was, a, as you said, was a Norse explorer, and he was born in Iceland about AD 970, by most accounts. I've seen 960. I don't know who to believe. Give or take 10 yeah. years. Yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, Erickson was the son of Eric the Red. So, Eric's son. Mm. Ah. Yes. That's clever, these Norse. <laughs> anyway, well, he's the son of Eric the Red, uh, who was also a noted explorer. And for years, Eric the Red was believed to be the first person to set foot in Greenland. But that's been pretty much discounted, one of those first things that everybody's claiming. Um, although Eric the Red did found the first permanent uh, Nordic settlement in Greenland. But anyway, but back to Leif Erikson, who's we're here to talk about. Uh, he grew up in Iceland and learned the ways of the Vikings and followed in his father's footsteps as an explorer. And he's credited by many historians as being the first European to land in North America and what's now the Canadian province of Newfoundland and Labrador. And that would be a full five centuries before Columbus sailed the ocean blue. And then, as you pointed out, in 1964, the United States Congress proclaimed November 9th of each year as Leif Erikson Day. And it's interesting that date wasn't chosen because of any event in Erikson's life, because we're not even sure what year he was born. <laughs> but rather, it's a connection to the first organized immigration from Norway uh, to the United States occurred on that date in 1825. So. Which makes complete sense, since he was yeah. from Iceland. So Iceland so. <laughs> what? Well, again, Scandinavia. It's kind of one of those, you know, Norway, yeah. Iceland. I yeah, yeah, whatever. Potato, potato, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you, Bob. And Nikayla, I believe you have a solution. I do. Uh, I feel like we're on the William Lindsay series because yeah. this one, once again, goes to William Lindsay. Um, okay, so as Bob mentioned, um, Leif Erikson Day became an official national holiday in 1964. And the bill to observe it nationwide was introduced to Congress by Representative John Blatnick of Minnesota. Blatnick served as a representative for nearly 30 years, as most representatives do. And during that time, he, uh, he championed many causes, including the Clean Water Act and the construction of the St. Lawrence Seaway. Blatnick helped develop the original legislation that built the seaway. The seaway opened in 1959, and it was formally opened by Queen Elizabeth II and Dwight Eisenhower, who took a short cruise down the seaway aboard the Royal Yacht Britannia. And as we know from previous podcasts, Eisenhower was a golfing buddy of William Lindsay, and William Lindsay was the son of William Allen. All right. So, it all started with a guy named Blatnick. Blatnick. Oh, that's a great name. Yeah, from Minnesota. From Minnesota. Yeah. <laughs> Bob, would you like to issue the next challenge for our sure. next episode? Well, our next podcast will be just over a week before Halloween, so in keeping with the spirit of the season, we'd like you to connect William Allen White to Bram Stoker, author of Dracula, the classic vampire novel. And Wait, it's not Twilight? <laughs> what? Well, maybe it's, maybe in another hundred years. So oh, okay. Whatever, I know you for those. I'm sure a hundred years from now, everybody's going to still be reading Twilight. But anyway... 
But I, I have not read Twilight. I have not either. I did see that movie and it was horrible. <laughs> Sorry if you're a Twilight fan. <laughs> no, I, I have to admit, haven't seen it. Haven't seen it, haven't read it. Yeah, but, uh, but it's really hard to avoid vampires now. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. I think maybe Stoker's the guy we can blame for this current glut of all things vampire. You can't pick up a entertainment magazine or turn on the TV or look at the movie ads and it's vampire this, vampire that. So, hey, we can jump on the bandwagon. <laughs> a little late. Just as quickly as anybody. Well, maybe not as quickly as anybody else. But anyway, so it, it'll be our vampire episode. Great. So if you think you can connect William Allen White to this gothic novelist who chronicled bloodlust among the Victorians, send your solution to podcasts at kshs.org. That is podcasts with an S. concludes episode 91. Is that a nork in your pocket? To see photos of this ingenious utensil, go to our website, kshs.org, and click on podcasts. If you're new to our podcast and would like to hear more, you can listen to every episode clear back to our first podcast in April of 2006 by going to our website, kshs.org, and clicking on podcasts. We're also on Facebook and Twitter. Just search for Kansas Historical Society. Come back in two weeks when collection specialist Donna Ray Pearson tells us about a camera used by a woman photographer in Valley Falls, Kansas, at the turn of the 20th century. Alice Gardner not only photographed the people and places of Valley Falls, but also started her own photography business in 1902. Find out about this pioneering Kansas photographer in our next episode. This podcast has been a production of the Kansas Historical Society. Real people, real stories. Real stories.